Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place today. Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. A story that many of you may be familiar with. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject. Mercy must prevail. Mercy must prevail. You may be seated and thank you for standing. About the only time that we hear this word prodigal is when it's used to describe this young man. It's almost always used to describe this very familiar uh, parable that Jesus talks about. And he is explaining the mercy and love of God. What does the word prodigal mean? Its basic meaning is wasteful, particularly as it re relates to money. It comes from Latin roots that means forth, which is the pro, and to drive, which is the uh, gree or a gal, prodigal. It indicates the quality of a person who drives forth his money or wastes it by spending with reckless abandon. This, this boy, this son, there, he had an older brother, but he was uh, wanting his inheritance from his father uh, at a young age. He wanted it while he was still a young man, which meant that he would receive immediately one-third of his father's wealth. And so the younger son effectively slaps his dad in the face when he asks for his share of the inheritance. This is akin to saying, I wish you were dead. If this sort of behavior wasn't shocking enough, the father says, okay, I'll die for you. I'll give you the inheritance now. Here's your share of the inheritance. Well, it's outlandish that somebody would even request that. That we, Somebody would even make a statement that in effect was, I wish you were dead. But nobody responds by saying, okay, I'll die. But the father did. Does that sound familiar to you this morning? Do you know anyone else that died for you so you could have an inheritance? The parable of the prodigal son illustrates how that mercy surpasses the law. It was humiliating, but the father ran to the son. I'm so glad that the scripture says that he ran to the son. 
This would have required him to hike up his robe and to run down the street. And in the first century, a Middle Eastern man never, never, ever ran. If he were to run, he would have to hitch up his tunic so he would not trip. And if he did this, he would show his bare legs. And in that culture, it was humiliating and shameful for a man to show his bare legs. So consequently, they never ran. But the Bible says that this man ran. Have you ever wondered why he ran to his son? I always thought that he was so excited to see his son returning. Maybe he thought he was dead. Maybe he thought he'd never see him again. But with the joy and the excitement of his son coming home, he ran to see him. And he couldn't contain his excitement. And certainly all of that may have been a part of why he ran. But I think this morning, after studying this further, that there was an even greater reason why the father ran to his son. The father ran to meet the prodigal son to protect him. What his son had done was worthy of being stoned. But he threw his arms around him to protect him from the village. His son's life was worth more than his own reputation. And the father had to reach his son before he was stoned or at best exiled by the townspeople. The law of Moses governed the lives of first century Jews. And honoring your mother and father was one of the Ten Commandments that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. It reads, and I quote, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So by demanding his inheritance, while the father still lived, the younger brother greatly dishonored his father in favor of living the high life now, not caring how he shamed his father. And without the father's intervention, the returning prodigal son would go through the ceremony that they said in the Hebrew is called kazaza. The Jewish custom of the time in a ceremony of kazaza was to gather the people and to break a pot in front of the prodigal and declare, you are cut off from the people and then to stone him to death. The law demanded his punishment. Stoning or exile. And they denied him the opportunity to make amends. But in this story that Jesus tells, he tells about this father who ran to meet him before the boy had ever gotten to the outside of the city limits. The father runs to meet him and he throws his arms around him. And he did that because no stone could hit his son while he had his arms thrown around him. While the father had his arms around him, fell on his neck and kissed him. He was saying, I love you. I receive you back. And I'm going to protect you from the judging eyes of the people in this village. Oh, my friend, I'm so happy to tell you that you have a heavenly father that responds the same way. 
It doesn't matter how much judgment you may feel in this world, how much judgment you may feel from people that do not know you or your walk with God. I've come to tell you, there is a heavenly Father that loves you so much, He wants to protect you from any stone being thrown at you. I was having lunch with a friend of mine a few weeks ago who's an attorney and he was telling me about a case that he had against a man who used to be a minister. And the man had been accused of actions that were, that were in factual dispute and it was my friend's job to prosecute him. And my friend was telling me that he wasn't comfortable with this assignment to prosecute this man and I asked him why. And he begins to tell me about a dream that he had had just a few days before our lunch together. and He said, I had this dream and it woke me up. And I began to ask him about the dream. And he said it was a dream. And he said that I was on trial. But he said the judge, you couldn't see the face. It was just like a light that was up there by the judge's bench. And he said, I was the one on trial. And he said the judge just kept shouting a scripture. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. I asked him, I said, have you read Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 11? He said, well, I never had before, but when I woke up, I went looking for a Bible. Well, I'll read it to you in the context, starting in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. He said... Do you think that dream was from the Lord? I said, yes, I do. And I feel like it's a warning. He said, it's a warning that I'm not to bring a railing accusation. I said, exactly. He said, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm assigned to this case. I said, you can present the facts. But the definition of a railing accusation is something that's much more severe. And I said, that verse is saying that even the angels don't bring a railing accusation, although they have the power to do so. And then I took him over to the book of Jude. I said, you know, the book of Jude? He said, no. I said, that's the second to the last book in the Bible. It's right before Revelation. And I said, Jude also introduces this, this same concept in this epistle. I said, Jude's only one chapter. And I said, it's a very short letter. But he mentions this railing accusation. And he mentions back to what Peter was talking about. Because a railing accusation means to angrily or severely criticize someone for a personal failing. To speak evil or disdainly against someone. And Jude warns of this when he gives further clarity of what Peter was writing about. Apparently, there was a war in the spirit world over the body of Moses.
And Jude explains this. And Michael, the archangel, warred with the devil over the body of Moses. But Jude says that the archangel would not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but rather said in verse 9, the Lord rebuked thee. Even Michael the archangel would not rebuke Satan. He said, I'm going to leave that up to God. I'm going to let him rebuke you. Jude was not dismissing judgment. Because when you read this book, which is just one chapter, he's not dismissing judgment. The first half of that chapter is judgment. He's just saying, that's not my jurisdiction. But here's what he does go on and say. In verse 20, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I mean, when I got done with this Bible study with my friend, he said, I'm going to just ask the judge to assign this case to someone else. (laughs) You see, my friend, there are only two seats in the Bible that translates to the position that we are to take in this life. One is the judgment seat. And the other is the mercy seat. Those are the two seats that God sets up in Scripture. And only God can sit in the judgment seat. So we might as well sit in the mercy seat. I say to this great church today, we got to show mercy. Mercy has to prevail. We're not anybody's judge. But we can show mercy. We can pull them out of the fire. The Lord is merciful and gracious and he's willing to delay judgment for the sake of repentance. So he leaves the judgment seat and goes and sits in the mercy seat to give you and I a space for repentance. This is a major theme in biblical theology. It's highlighted in Exodus 34, 5 through 7. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. This is Old Testament, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. He sits in the mercy seat. He delays going to the judgment seat. For the sake of repentance, that can be traced even through the prophets. Because we read in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? I knew you were going to show mercy. I knew you weren't going to destroy this city. That's why I went on a cruise. (laughs) Therefore I fled before unto Tarsus. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger. In a great kind of, he's upset. 
that he wasn't sitting in the judgment seat. And repentest thee of the evil. He wanted God to sit in the seat of judgment. We want you to sit in that seat and bring judgment to Nineveh, this wicked city. But I knew if they started repenting, you wouldn't stay in that seat. You'd go get in the mercy seat. That's why I didn't want to go. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's something about human nature. We like that judgment seat. It's on display in the New Testament, but it can already be seen in the Lord's response to the first sin of Israel. Because in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 34, it says, In the midst of the narrative concerning Israel's idolatry at Sinai, the narrative in which the mercy and grace of God is revealed, the Lord declared that there will be a day when I will punish them for their sin. That day of visitation is taken up by the prophets to become the prophesied day of the Lord. The Lord has a day of judgment on sin. Yes, for sure, it's coming. But Peter added that the day of the Lord will come as it has been prophesied in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So the whole theme of God's mercy is significant for understanding prophetic time. Because yes, there is coming a time when there's going to be a judgment. The earth's going to be judged. Everything you thought, everything you've said, all of us, we're all going to be judged. And that prophesied word is true. But what is also true is the word about the character of our God. And the interval between prophecy and fulfillment reveals the remarkable patience of God. A patience that is extended to you and I for the sake of repentance. Oh, my friend, that's the mercy seat. That's the Father running to put His arms around us to protect us from the law. When God leaves the mercy seat and He goes and sits in the mercy seat, it's for the sake of repentance. And that has been extended to every one of us. But we in our humanity, we have a tendency to want to go and sit in His seat which he has abandoned to go sit in the mercy seat. Well, since nobody's in the judgment seat right now, I'll go and sit in it for him. Have you ever been at a table and you go to get something to drink? And when you come back, somebody's got your seat. And you're like, hey, that's my seat. And they're like, yeah, but you weren't in it. I'm like, but my plate is still there. I was... I was on vacation with Brother uh, uh, David Elms at Pastors Fort Lauderdale, Brother Joel Urshan at Pastors Cincinnati. You guys know them. They're going to both be here at Winds Conference. And uh, we were on vacation together with our wives. And Brother David Elms and I, we love to just sit in a hammock under a shade tree. When we were younger, we wanted to go skydiving and parasailing and wakeboarding. And, and we don't feel like we have to do any death-defying stunts anymore. If we just live another day, we feel like we've defied death. That's good enough for us. So we get in a hammock and we get a good book and we get under a shade tree and everything's fine and dandy. And uh, I, I, I wanted to get up and go get something to drink and so I did. And when I went up and got something to drink, I came back. Brother Joel Urshan was sitting over at another place and uh, I got so tickled because there was a big iguana that was staring down Pastor Elms. 
and he was trying to shoo it away. But this was a great big male iguana. It had a big ridge back on it. And it was something shining. I don't know what it was Pastor Elms had, but that iguana was right at his hammock. And he was trying to shoo him away with his iPad. And that iguana was trying to climb up on his hammock. And we, I got so tickled, I had to tell Brother Urshan. Brother Urshan, I said, you got to see this. And I had left my phone in my hammock. I had left my iPad in my hammock. I had left my sunglasses in my hammock. I had left my uh, uh, suntan lotion in the hammock. And while I'm telling Brother Urshan this story, I see this guy that's taking all the stuff out of my hammock and putting them in the bushes. I'm like, whoa. And so I said, wait just a second, Joel. And I run over there. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? That's my stuff. He said, you've been in the hammock long enough. I said, I'll stay in it all day if I want to. Don't touch my stuff. (laughs) I mean, here's big old muscled up Pastor Elms. But he's incapacitated because of a male iguana. And me and this guy are nose to nose. We're about ready to go at it. I'm pulling the stuff out of the bushes, putting it back in the hammock. He's taking it out of the hammock, putting it back in the bushes. And he was big. He would have killed me. He was like a big East German mechanic, something. The guy they had on Raiders of the Lost Ark that was fixing that airplane. I think he was on vacation with us. This guy was huge. But I was mad. When you're mad, you don't care how big they are. I didn't care. I was picking my stuff out of the bushes. He was taking that stuff. He picked it and the whole time I'm thinking, Brother Elms is going to help me at some point. <laughs> Nothing. Here comes little old skinny Joel Urshan. From way down over here. He comes up there and he goes, what's going on here? And the guy literally starts to make his case to, to Brother Urshan. He's like, he had all his stuff. He's in the hammock. I want the hammock now. And he was gone and I'm getting the hammock. And Joel said, what are you talking about? (laughs) And the guy's like, he has the hammock. I want the hammock. It's my hammock now. Joel said, get out of here. And he kind of flicked his wrist like that. You're out of order. Get out of here. And he was kind of swelled up a little bit. Now, Joel is skinny, but he kind of blown his chest up a little bit. What are you talking about? Get out of here. And this guy was huge. He was like Goliath. I'm telling you, God is my witness. The guy turned around and left. I said to Brother Urshan, you've got such authority. It's not only in the pulpit. This guy did not want to mess with little skinny Joel Urshan. What are you talking about? Get out of here. (laughs) And I got to thinking, sometimes whenever God leaves that seat of judgment, we all want to climb up in it. It's my seat now. Can I tell you that mercy is more than just withholding judgment? Mercy is showing favor. Undeserving favor. The Bible said, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. Aren't you glad that's what the Lord did for you and I? We didn't deserve it. 
He gave us unmerited favor. We didn't deserve what God was giving us. But I'm so glad He left that seat of judgment to get in the mercy seat and say, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you an altar of repentance. I love you enough. I'm willing to run to you. Oh, how many of you can raise your hand today and say, He ran to you. He came to where you were in the midst of your sins. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then I, I close with these four things. He said, called for his servants to bring the best robe. The son said, I'm not, I'm not worthy. That's the way we all feel. None of us are worthy. Who are we to sit in heavenly places? Who are we to come together in God's presence? The father said to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on him. He was ignoring his son's declaration of unworthiness. The father put a robe on him. And then a ring bearing the family's crest, saying, I'm restoring your identity. Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, that when God created you, he created you to be a worshiper of the one true living God. But sin comes in and wants to take your identity. Sin comes in and wants to make you live with shame and pain and hurt and regret and want to take your identity. But, oh, I'm thankful for a father, a heavenly father that restores our identity. I've called you to be a worshiper. I've called you to be a witness. I've called you to declare the name of Jesus Christ. I've called you to be an overcomer. I'm glad He restored my identity. I believe that in these four things that the Father did, He declared... Forgiveness and restoration. He made it clear that there would be no stoning or exile for his returning prodigal son. For the robe was forgiveness. It was the covering. And that's what he does. Jesus covers our sin and our shame. He covers it with love and he covers it with mercy. and He covers it with grace. He puts a robe on us that covers. Oh, I'm so thankful that the blood of Jesus covers even our sins, even our trespasses. The Bible says that the blood ran down and all the ordinances that the prosecutor, the Bible talks about Satan being an accuser of the brethren, that he wants to bring, a, he has a legal right to bring charges against you and I. But the Bible said all of those ordinances were nailed to the cross and the blood, oh, I'm so glad the evidence was contaminated. The blood of Calvary, it ran down over all of the ordinances, all of the accusations, all of the charges. The blood ran down. And now we are covered by His blood. Now we are covered by His love. Oh, you ought to put your hands together and you ought to thank the Lord. He gave you a covering of His blood. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You can remain standing. I'm coming to a close. And He gave him a ring. The ring was restoring the identity. You belong to the family. That was value. This is what happens when the Father runs to you and I. That robe is His love and His grace. That ring is our value. He restores to us our value. You're not just a number. You're not just another human being down here breathing air. You were created in the image of God.
You have a calling and a destiny upon your life. He knew you in your mother's womb, the Bible says. You're not here by accident. I know life may have beat you up, but God, hallelujah, is going to restore your value and your identity. He's going to put that ring upon your hand because mercy must prevail. I know there's a legal right to to be able to prosecute you, but I'm glad that there's a heavenly father who's got the final say in all matters. And he is running to you. He is running to me. And then they put sandals on his feet. The sandals were as a renewed purpose and meaning for life. That's hope. Love was the robe. The ring was value. The sandals were hope. I've got a journey. I've got a calling. I've got a destiny for you. I'm so glad he gives us that renewed purpose. And then he said, we're going to kill the fatted calf. That's the celebration. That's what's so great about serving the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, is that it is a celebration. Every day is a gift. People don't understand. Why are you Christians so happy? Because we're celebrating. (laughs) Oh, we're celebrating. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's another opportunity to worship God. It's another opportunity to say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. This restoration involves unconditional forgiveness, restored identity, renewed purpose, and joyful celebration. It's the robe, the ring, the sandals, and the fatted calf. Unconditional forgiveness. Restored identity. You are who he says you are. I said you are who your creator says you are. I am whom you say that I am. Woo! Renewed purpose. You're not here just marking time. You're not here just living from paycheck to paycheck. You've got a purpose and a call. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I believe there's a heavenly father that wants there to be a joyful celebration. Somebody's coming home this morning. Somebody's coming to the mercy seat this morning. Somebody's going to say, I'm tired of living on the peripheral edges. I'm going to run to the Father. I'm going to run to the mercy seat. Oh, would you lift up your hands now all over this building? Would you lift up your voice to Him? I'm running to you, Lord. I'm running to you, Lord. I'm running to you, Lord. Jesus Jesus Come on, this altar is open Why don't you step out from where you're standing Come on, why don't you run to the mercy seat Why don't you run to the mercy seat this morning Your heavenly Father is going to run to you
yes, yes, yes. Here I come, Lord. I'm coming with all my bruises. I'm coming with all my mistakes. Jesus! Yes, in the name of Jesus! Jesus. 